This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Good morning, folks. It's uh, August 23rd, 2017 here, and this is, of course, Chris. Um, coming up is a SEMA episode we thought we had lost. Uh, we mentioned on the show a few weeks ago uh, that we found a few of these. Um, frankly, I thought the files had been destroyed when a drive crashed, and uh, I was able to actually get them back. Uh, so here we go. I know they're uh, they're late, but um, eh, it doesn't really matter. It's um, it's nothing specific to SEMA in and of itself. It's just uh, just good guests having a good to- talk as usual. Um, so thanks again, guys, for listening, and uh, hope you enjoy this. Live coverage of SEMA 2016 is proudly brought to you by Forza Horizon 3 for the Xbox One and Windows PCs. Get yourself a copy of Forza Horizon 3 at Xbox.com on Xbox Live or your favorite retail. Take two. Live from the Magnaflow booth at SEMA 2016, it is the Hooniverse Podcast. We are uh, brought to you by Magnaflow this week, and uh, they have been kind enough to give us space also, to give me exhaust and Matt exhaust and do an engineered episode mm-hmm. uh, with Zach. Yeah. So, uh, Rich Waitis did that. He's a genius. He helped build the Batmobile. You should buy their things because it helps build Batmobiles. Yeah, the guy who's the head engineer of this whole gigantic uh, outfit engineered that. It's a functional trophy truck underneath movie skin, which is pretty rad. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Yes. And then uh, I also have to thank our friends over at Forza for setting up the gaming rigs out back uh, with Forza Horizon 3. You can get that on Xbox Live, on Xbox.com, and in whatever archaic retail establishment that you frequent. Uh, That game is awesome. You should waste some time on it. Also using a Fanatec wheel that are pricey, but they're excellent. They're very, very good. They got a lot of feedback. Um, You can tune them however you want. You can get wheel... You can get a wheel shaped however you want. I remember they make a wheel that mimics the E30 M3, like a three-spoke thing. You can get like an F1-style thing. They got aluminum, all kinds of stuff. It's, you can really tailor it to, to your driving preference. It's the only tactile virtual experience better than real life. Uh, yeah. It steering feels better than um, my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, this morning, we've got Harry Kong from Nitto Tires. How the hell are you doing, man? Trying to struggle through the week, man. <laughs> yeah. Can I get Vegas. you a little closer to the mic? Sorry yep. about that. Um, so... Nitto, uh, you guys make tires, right? That's what I hear. Yeah. Uh, famous for your drag radials initially. Um, what are you guys showing off here? Do you got any new tires this year? Uh, for this year, we are launching a brand new uh, Ridge Grappler, which is the tweener tire between an all-terrain and a mud-terrain. So we wanted to create a product that is not just quiet, but very aggressive looking. So the sidewall is extremely aggressive. Uh, the pattern is aggressive, but not super loud. So mm. yeah, we saw a need in the market. We just wanted to create something... You know, totally badass for for the enthusiasts, and some people were a little worried about the mud side, but they wanted a little more from the AT. So that's how this product came to be. So basically, it's it's 
a really badass off-road tire that doesn't make the trademark hum when it's on the highway. Exactly. Okay, yeah, that's annoying as shit, so <laughs> good job. It's, it's like not it's annoying just to the drivers, it's annoying to other people on the road. But the cool part, it's like an alarm on the freeway, you know, when they're passing by, you're just like, oh, I, I got a you slight warning. Coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hear that, and then you see the cloud of cooling roll. Exactly. It's cool. I, I, I've tested the... Um, I mean, as a competitor or whatever, the BFG KOs, we did a, a shoot with them like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was really impressed with it. I was like, why don't more people have quiet off-road tires? Because they make them. And mm-hmm. But, you know, I, maybe people want more aggressive tread pattern. I'm sure there's some rock climbing ability that comes with the larger gaps between the treads and stuff. Yep. But it's cool that if you don't need that, you can have a tire that's, like, compliant and provides a lot of grip and also is, is quiet. Exactly. I mean, there was a point where we had something not too aggressive and overly aggressive. I think with the Ridge Grapple, we found that fine line between performance and daily driving capabilities. All right. So in terms of fitments, um, what are your targets? Uh, we got everything from 17 to 22s, uh, P-metric and hard metric sizes. I mean, we got sizes for everybody. Okay. So you're basically just tackling the entire off-road market at once? Exactly. Just a humble goal like that? Yep. Okay. What What is the difference between, if you're designing, a, like, say you're designing a full mud tire and a full AT tire, like, what would the differences be for tread design? Uh, sometimes the tread block arrangements, how deep the siping is, uh, how deep the tread blocks go. Uh, we take into factor uh, road noise. A tread pattern is a big portion of that, uh, how the rubber hits the ground, how it, you know, vibrates through the the tire, the wheel, the car, uh, the compounds that we use, the construction materials, and even the manufacturing, how, how we manufacture it and where we manufacture it matters. So in terms of the how and where, how I'm assuming a team of monkeys at typewriters. A big team of monkeys and typewriters. Big team of monkeys and typewriters. That's how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Engineering? Yeah, okay. totally. Yeah. I, that's how I think it works because I don't know how it works. <laughs> yeah, I should know how it works. It's magic. I really should know how it works. How much does compound come into play with, uh, you know, soft, hard, all those things, like when you're trying to grip rocks or grip wet or grip, especially like mud, you know, Mm because mud can vary in temperature. Uh, For mud, I believe it's more the trap block arrangement, how many, we call it like biting edges, how many of these edges cause friction against the road and kind of push the vehicle forward. Gotcha. Uh, With the compound being harder or softer, that contributes to more of the drive performance. Mm Mm-hmm. And the tread block, how the treads are done with the siping improves the wet performance. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we just try to find that fine balance between everything and that type of clientele. It's such an alien world to me because all I ever, re- I mean, I'm not really an off-road guy. I respect it for what it is, but I'm entirely, like, basically a road, you know, a road and track, like, focused thing. And it's just such a different alien world to me that I'm not even thinking, like, well, it's going to be able to scoop mud and fling this and do that and also be able to not suck on the road and... That seems like it's possibly even a lot more complicated than doing road tires. That's what I hear. But, you know, honestly, I, I grew up on the import and domestic side. So, so you've got, you're have got you familiar <laughs> with it like I am, where it's just like, well, we want more rubber on the road that's softer compound to yeah, make things is go better, fast. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it fits and doesn't rub, and you're, you want max grip, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's So, so um, one thing I think that's been interesting and obviously been developing for a long time, like for 15 more, 20 years, like drift tires, it seems like every year they're trying to perfect like how much wear there is versus how much grip there is. And, and, and that's, it's like a totally new use for tires as of 20 years ago. And then trying to perfect that, like such a small, strange target, I guess. How has the development been for that? 
So when we're talking about competition uh, drift tires, so we try to base it off of road race radio, the maximum rubber, a little bit taller sidewall. We try to use uh, different construction materials. Even the caps are different. Um, we want to maximize the grip setup, but also we have to balance out the tread life issue. So for our guys, you know, we truly run a 295-40-18 NT05. Um, 18-inch. Yeah. That's the correct size for motorsports. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we try to balance things out with, like, air pressure, depending on the track, what side's loaded, unloaded. Um, you know, during qualifying, we'll get one lap because we'll increase the wheel spin, give the driver a little more control. Uh, during competition, we'll take more control out for more speed. Mm. But there's a certain compromise we have to make and still make it last two laps. Yeah, because they have to do two before they can switch, right? Correct. Wow. That's amazing. You can burn up a set in the same course, same turns, everything. You can roast it in half the time. It's like, actually 35-second you know. runs, two of them, and tires are done. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. It's really good they have you sponsoring them, because otherwise they'd all be broke. That's a tire. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy, because uh, we did the tire mounting, too, so you know we visually see how much they're going through, and uh, it's, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, sorry for the environment. I don't know how else to describe it. Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, though, I mean, a handful of drift drivers are... I mean, it, it, it is somewhat wasteful, but, I mean, it's still way, way less than the population at large using tires. So True. I mean, that's just rubber, though, not, like, plummeting into the yeah. air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when we're talking about, like, drift demos or uh, just for fun use, you know, that totally places differently. You want something with a lot more tread life, a harder compound, uh, something easier on the drivetrain. So there's a... A really hard tire can be fun if you're just trying to slide the car around. Right, but the inverses, you might spin out frequently. So uh, we typically try to push our 555 G2. We've seen that it kind of lasts a little longer under those conditions without overdoing the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have the flexibility of fine-tuning the tire itself with the suspension setup. And we've seen that you know gives more smoke, gives more play time. People just out there have a good time. Would you say, you know, I've done like really, I've done like two drift classes, and I just bought an E46 M3, and I want... You know the, the drift classes, uh, the 240s. They use hard tires. They, they, you know, there's, there's a couple of tricks they use to try to keep that tread life because that's for their business. It's helpful. And when you're learning, you just want to feel the slide. Mm-hmm. And then, what do you recommend when when people want to have a car they can like daily drive, go do some drift practice? But like you said, it has that longer tread life without without being so hard you spin out all the time. You know, so you can kind of learn where that control is mm-hmm. without just oh completely roasting tires every week. That one's very subjective, I would say. Uh, depends on the car, depends on the driver, depends how uh, how you tune everything. Uh, so it's, it's hard to say. Hard answer, gotcha. Obviously, softer compound will always go out faster. Yeah. Uh, harder compound will go out faster or longer, but also how long you drive on it at any given time. Because obviously, a tire builds heat. More heat will cause more issues after it reaches peak performance. Yeah, if it's a 60 second lap, then obviously it's going to eat through it a lot quicker. And um, how fast you go on that. Like, let's say you go um, Willow Springs. Yeah. You know, they'll last a decent amount, but you go to Irwindale, you ride that big long bank at 60 to 80 miles an hour, that'll kill a tire a lot faster than a small little yeah. Ferrari will. Yeah. I'm not doing that giant bank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like putting cones out in the in the parking lot and then doing that kind of those, stuff. Those should stuff, last so. just fine. Okay. Nice. Um, I would also recommend adding a little positive camber, just because when you're loading the rear, you know, zero out. Mm-hmm. But that's just a little trick that we do as well. 
Yeah, you want to win squatting, and you want to zero out. That, 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 that kind of the tough challenge of a lot of cars with their rear suspension geometry. Depending on what you get, like a lot of cars are looking at, you know, E30s are really popular, becoming a new drift car, but because they have the rear trailing arm, uh-huh. you need to put on like well on these new tabs to try to zero out the toe. Because trying they, to find they, one now is that too. <laughs> trying to find one that's not super ratty and stuff. They're kind of having, developing the new tax, like the mm-hmm. 240 tax, and now it's at the E30 tax. It's really shocking. Like it just came out of the blue. Like it was a cool car that you can practice with because the two where it was too expensive and all of a sudden E30s and E36 are just completely out of proportion on price. Yeah, so they are. Just insane. I think it's, I don't know that the formula is even that mystical. It's just like what's the next cheapest shitty rear wheel drive car? Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of how it goes. It's, it's li- as light as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it has like a pretty robust kind of setup. Like the, the, the E30 is good because it's an IRS and they're fairly simple. But yeah, they they start going up and up and up, and then and I was looking at E thirty sixes, and they they got up so expensive that I got an E forty six for like for four thousand dollars more than a decent E thirty six. You can get an E forty six. Isn't a decent E thirty six an oxymoron? No, yeah, like a like a clean like one that's have, service. And yeah, but the, I mean, like an E thirty six inherently at this point is just going to have problems. Unless if all the problems have been addressed, you are then going to spend what you could basically buy an E46 for. The E46, I believe, has a three-link suspension, which gives it a hell of an advantage on road racing, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a better all-around. It's just weird how, like like Chris says, we find the people that want to drift or or track, and they find the next cheap, good thing. And then as soon as word gets out and everyone goes, "Ah," and mobs over there. And then the price, and then you got to find like the next I, thing. I know? have to buy a GTO back before those get into the scene because they'll all get destroyed. Yeah, I, I think you got to find a Firebird before that. Uh, now I've had enough body. I'd rather have my GTO. Again. No, I'm just saying it might get taxed later. That or IROC Camaro. Um, you couldn't pay me to take an IROC Camaro. <laughs> it's an investment. Musto, it's an investment. Musto, Musto might. Yeah, my, yeah, he is. He is the man for that. Car. We filmed the cleanest IROC ever. It was like body off restoration, perfect interior, and, and great suspension. It was an automatic, but it shifted hard. Had really good uh, cornering capability and built engine. I was still just. There's those, something about it, like the interior, like the whole dash is just rectangles. It's mm-hmm. just rectangles everywhere. Those cars, I mean, when they were new, the F bodies always placed really, really well in all the SCCA events. Um, the back in the day when, like, when the third gen F bodies out, and, and uh, at the same time the Fox body was out, the Fox body had it because it was lighter and had a better motor at the time. But then it flip flopped again with the fourth gen F body, where that was much better than the Mustang platform at the time. So. Those will also start turning into drift cars too. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think my first experience with that car was a lot less extreme than you guys. But it was just my buddy in high school. The shift knob was missing. He just took duct tape until it rolled into a ball. Uh-huh. So that was my first experience with that car. <laughs> oh, the rust yeah. bucket. It was cool. Yeah. So that was a third gen or fourth gen? Uh, beats me. It was like so bad that you couldn't really tell what it was. Was it was it boxy or was it round? It was boxy. Oh, for third gen. Yeah. 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 So. Um, so I've had a little bit of an issue over the course of the last couple of years is actually sourcing tires for one of my cars. So my C6 is, it runs a 335-35-18 rear. Mm-hmm. Um, that's become a very, very hard size to find. And it's not super uncommon for Corvettes, Vipers, we make th- it. things of that. Um, NTO one. Yeah. For um, you guys, actually, specifically. Yeah. That's what the tire was developed for. Um it's what do you attribute just to that that the 18 market has kind of disappeared in a lot of the larger sizes 
What do you attribute to that being the case? Because it seems like a lot of those sizes would be specifically used in applications like me that want to go either beat the crap out of it in the canyons or take it on a road course. Uh, whenever we talk about like adding on sizes, it's really on the manufacturers. They got to make an investment in the molds. You know, it doesn't make sense for the brand to build these super wide sizes. And uh, at least in our case, with super wide sizes, you know, we got to contribute who's the market value, who's the competitive scope. Uh, you know, how does our tires perform? And there's there's a lot of data that we have to go through every time to to figure out what size we want to make. It's really only like you, Michelin, and BF make tires that size at this point. And, and another thing that we do is, you know, we listen. We listen to the market. We look. We get phone calls, size requests. We go to the events. We listen to the audience, uh, even social. Uh, even people send in letters just asking for us to build certain sizes. And like I said, really, that, that even that's just effective. It gets to the right person in the company. They go, "We need to look at this." Exactly, and that's where our tagline is fueled by enthusiasts. We really do only build products that people are asking for. It's not, you know, we we have an idea of what we think is cool. We have an idea of what we think may work. But unless there's a group of people that are super passionate and vocal about it, you know, we're we're not going to build it. Well, you kind of, I mean, and don't take this the wrong way, but I mean. You guys are kind of the smaller players, so you have to. You really have to embrace that, and that's what differentiates you guys, right? Correct, correct. Wow. And that—that—that's our brand. You know, we're not going to build the you know super commodity stuff. We're we're here to build the really impactful, uh, unique products that that we that made it what it is. You know, the unique tread patterns, the elevated performance, uh, the unique size applications. You know, that that is what Nitto is, and that's what Nitto will continue to be. It's yeah. It's it's an interesting thing, it, it, and you guys really focus on kind of, especially in applications like that. They're relatively low tread wear tires. Um, is there any demand in the market for something that can be kind of used a bit more frequently? Something that's you know a lot of those tires and that are in that segment and that size. There's an assumption that you're only going to use it on a rare occasion, and there are 40 tread wear or 100 tread wear or something like that. Have you ever explored doing something maybe that's closer to like 150 or 120 wear or something like that, just so that somebody like me can actually take my car out and enjoy it a little more often without worrying about it costing me a fortune in tires? Um, most of our street applications are like that. I mean, there's a good amount that we don't have mileage warranties, but right. there's you know we do have the Motiva all season UHP line, but we back up to 60,000 miles. Okay. Um, even the 55 G2, it comes with the 320 UTQG, so. There's the high performance side, that's, which is mostly 100. 320 is a long, long wear. Yeah, and then the original 55 is 300. So you know we try to okay. improve without compromising anything. <laughs> that's got to be so tough. I mean, I feel like the enthusiast market, car, well, anything nowadays, because we have such a connection to the supplier of something, whether it's a part or a celebrity or a movie studio or anything, we can now talk back via social media and everything to that entity and tell them exactly what we think of them or what we want which is which is great because you can then engage with the audience and, and go alright we, we got a lot of people calling for E30 Rallycross tires that fit this 14 inch rim that we never thought we'd sell but it's Miata guys and you know but at the same time maybe it, does it do you, do you find that the audience is so uh, specific with their needs like do they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too you know well, how come you guys don't make you know, a, a rally cross tire in 16 inches that will fit in my Mazda 3, or you know, or, or something that's almost like unobtainable based on science and physics as we currently know. I need a caster wheel 
with a 50 treadwear on it. But I mean, I see like YouTube sometimes people be like, you know what? If they wanted to build a tire that could last 200,000 miles and also have good grip, they could do it. They could do it. It's like people just like to say these things that are, mm-hmm. are made up in their dreams. Well, you'd have to kill 900,000 geckos and paste all of their <laughs> paws to a tread. That's a very good question. I want to say, you know, most manufacturers, you know, we do have certain technologies. We do have certain manufacturing capacities. But uh, it all comes down to realistic, I guess, goals. You know, can we actually do something like this? Maybe, maybe not. Is it perfectly safe to use? Maybe, maybe not. You know, there's a lot of things that need to come to play before you know, commitments are made for, for certain performance. But mm-hmm. on our side, you know, safety is always number one. It's a safety product. We want to make sure whatever goes out is is true to its name. So, yeah, there's a certain limit on science, certain limit on, you know, compounds and manufacturing materials and how it's all put together and the team of monkeys with Post-its um, mm-hmm. figuring out what, what makes sense. Those monkeys work real hard at the typewriters. <laughs> they oh, jam them every now and then, but they... Oh, it's a little slight typewriters, too. <laughs> They're diligent. What's been uh, one of your favorite things here? Just like a quick, I don't know, aside, like mm-hmm. favorite cars you've seen at the, at the, the show? Uh, favorite car, I mean, it's, it's a little self-serving, but it's uh, the Brocky, Vaughn's new Ultra 4 rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it means more to me just because, uh, you know, last year was his first time out of King of the Hammers. You know, we literally just called him, like, hey, we got you a ride. You know, are you down to try and, you know, he's coming from a drifting background, a couple of road racing, and, you know, just threw this completely new element at him. And he was totally up for the challenge, got him the first flight, got him, uh, got him a couple hours pre-running, and, you know, he's never rock- crawled rocks in, in his life. Really? And he finished wow. top 10 in his class. Wow. How, how popular do we have to get before you guys offer us a truck to go to King of Hammers? Very, very is the answer. I think you already know the answer to that. We listen to social, we listen to mail, mm. we listen to the web. I'm going to get my own team of monkeys. That's that's one of my favorite events I've ever been to or watched. And I think it's one of the coolest things that's out there because it's like it, it gives you the spectrum of uh, obstacles for vehicles from high speed to high speed whoops to to rock crawling, like really tears stuff up. Exactly, and just finishing is is a victory, you know. Oh, yeah. Like not even just getting first, just, just making it through, because you, you see a lot of guys just prep the trucks for a whole year, and really, this is that one race oh, where it makes you or breaks you. I mean, it's right up there with Baja, just yeah. getting across the line, and, like, that that is a monumental achievement. I mean, I watched a guy, it was just past one of the big, steep rock walls, like the, the 16-foot slabs where they have to winch over it, mm-hmm. and right on the other side of that, these guys were pulling apart their diff. They put a blanket down underneath the diff, and they were, like, changing gears out because they fried something. And then all these other trucks are just ripping past them. And the crazy thing about the rules are you have to fix your own rig if it's out there. Mm-hmm. If you're not near a pit, uh, a pit stop, you gotta, you got to carry your own stuff. you got to work on your own car. You run out of fuel. You have to run back and get fuel and then run back. It's, it's just absolutely mind-boggling what these guys go through, and it's, I think it's really incredible. How was, um, how was Vaughn's learning curve with rock crawling? Because you have a co-driver, so... When he got, because these are like cliffs. A he couple did times. not have an issued co-driver until we got there. Wow! All right. This was literally just kind of spur of the moment. Together. We're just like, I think it's a cool idea. We'll figure it out on the way. And um, we had one of our guys, uh, Lauren Healy, kind of show him how to crawl rocks in the first portion of the day. And from what I understood, he's kind of 
parked the car in front of a big rock. It's completely flat and vertical, and he just went four gear low and fried it up, and Vaughn said, uh, I get it. Uh, I'm the new guy. He's like, shift it and go. Wow. And it just kind of, all right, that's that's your approach, and that's he probably just played it really safe, mm-hmm. which in the end probably helped because then he'd you know, run less risk of popping tires or breaking stuff. Right, and it's I found it really interesting that, you know, I, I consider two totally different disciplines, but I think what he learned in drifting translated very well into this field. It's it's that fine balance of, you know, using your butt dyno and figure out where the traction points are mm-hmm. and where the weight of the car is going, how to transfer the weight. And, you know, I think just from off the get-go, from a suspension and, and traction standpoint, he already had a good understanding of it. He just needed to get those last details in. It's a good point. I mean, you, you have so much perfect throttle modulation with drifting and perfect steering and you're just so in tune i mean any racing you are but with that you are sliding so you're so connected to how the car feels Mm -hmm. and this is the second time i brought it up but it's like like we talked about we've seen tanner drive and it's just like gets in a new car that he's never touched before one quick swipe to the left one quick swipe to the right just to figure out what the suspension lean is going to be Mm -hmm. and then just goes and i'm sure vaughn's the same way because he's he's been doing it a million years too and I don't, know, I don't know if you guys seen our Hurricane Drift video that, that we produced at Driving Line with the, the Hubinets. I just and, watched that. That was rad. That and was so rad. We had to make them do those stunts five times in a row, you know, with the drone footage, the, the inside camera, the GoPro. So I'm just like, you know, in my head, I'm like, things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But they were so controlled of what they were doing. Like, oh, I could do this all day without a problem. Like, it's, it's a quarter million dollar car. You're just about to slide through this concrete wall with, that you can't even turn through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at that point, I'm just like, wow, they're, they're all about the car control. They're, they're playing with inches versus feet, and, and they still, like, I, I wouldn't doubt their heart rates weren't even going up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just something very natural to them. They're at the level. I mean, that's, that is the high stunt driver, professional drifter level, mm-hmm. which everyone, you know, people are, like, I watch a lot of these, these pro-am drift videos, and these guys are really, really, people, people are, say, are really, really good, mm-hmm. and they're, they're hitting apexes, and, and, that, and that is, that's how you move up on the way to, we need you to slide two inches from this pole in a Lamborghini and not hit it. We need you to do it five times. And we can't modify it at all. This is what it is, and you mm-hmm. got to figure out the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. And that, that's the big challenge with stunt driving is you can't modify the car. Like, they put a handbrake in that car, I know, because need, you needed to, but they don't, you know, they're not uh, dropping the ass down doing a super hard roll bar, and you can't change all these toe things. It's like, here's the car. We put a well, handbrake in it. When you're dealing with a Huracan... Those parts don't exist. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you, you have to promote the product as how you would buy it, too. So mm-hmm. you have to do it within the confines of what the car is. And, Good point. You know, the suspension and the, uh, you know, that, that car is mostly stock. And it has it has the uh, Vorsteiner Novara body kit on it. It's got the Vorsteiner wheels and our tires. But beyond that, they're, the car is stock. That's something you can drive. It's a rear-wheel drive edition, though, not the yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In case people get uh, mistaken for that. Yeah, it's a rad video. It was just shot around like the whole parking lot of a Newport Lamborghini. Oh, okay. And like he's like drifting around parked Lamborghinis, and then they go through past these pylons, real like real tight and down the garage. It's very well done. It was really cool. You know, it was nice. There's a lot of anxiety. I, I issued him the greater that. challenge next year of trying to do that with an Aventador. Oh my god! You need bigger. You need mm-hmm. you need to widen out those pylons a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah. I always saw that kind of the smaller Lamborghini, yeah. and it was super tight in there. But if you can pull that off, I mean. I'd love to see it. No, uh, yeah, the Thuracon's the better car. <laughs> um, I have to bow out. I'm sorry. I, I have to go to work from work. 
Um, <laughs> but it, was, it was awesome talking to you, and I'm sorry it's cut so short. No, no but, worries. But thank you for Well, and as, as a matter of fact, we're coming up on just a half hour. Are we coming up on our time? Anyway. Okay. So, um, Harry, where the hell should people go to find out about your products? Uh, you're going to go to South Hall, booth number 41135. That's fantastic, but this won't be going up for another couple of weeks. So, where should they find out about your products on the internet? <laughs> oh, if you're not at the show currently, it's going to be uh, www.nidotire.com, and also you can visit our Facebook page, Instagram page, and we have outbound links for everything. And uh, who do you have, like, local distribution through uh, with tire shops and things like uh, that? We have our authorized retailers all listed on our website. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a good amount of them, so. so all right, and social media them. stuff, it's all probably Nido Tire, Nido. Yep, Nido Tire, singular, no S. Okay, so. Google for NATO and find all your NATO stuff. And once again, thank you, MagnaFlow, for having us here. Uh, we're wrap, we're starting to wrap up the Siemens experience for 2016, thankfully, because my voice is starting to fade. Uh, I have to thank the guys at Forza for getting us out here and once again making sure that we're not living in boxes on the side of the street. Um, go buy Forza Horizon 3. It's awesome. You will love it. You can launch Paganis into trains because why not? That, that That's epic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I'm not kidding. You can launch Pagani's into trains. It's it's fun. <laughs> Harry's like, I've been waiting for this for my whole life. Yeah. I, I think I need to make a visit over there pretty soon. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, of course, Fanatec for sending out the killer wheel killer wheel and pedal packages uh, so everybody can play Forza out back. It is a very, very nice setup. All right, Harry, thank you again for joining us. And, uh, yeah, Nitto makes some really rad tires. We try to, but we will continue to. Yeah, I don't have many choices. I have to put them on my car. Hey, we got that 335-3018 for you, right? There we go. There you go. Just always, always, always room to make more. All right, this is Hooniverse.